0: you are now listening to the December 3rd broadcast of Unity in Christ. This hour, we have 12 Apostles, Sermon, and Equipping the Saints. First, let's begin with 12 Apostles. Hello, Heart and Soul listeners. This is Brian Winston with the 12 Apostles of Jesus. Today, we'll learn about two apostles from the 12 apostles of Jesus. The first is Apostle James, the lesser or the younger. In the third episode, I introduced three apostles who were named James when we learned about James, the son of Zebedee. James, the son of Zebedee is one of Jesus's apostles and most known in the Bible and was the brother of John. Along with his brother John, James had such a hot temper that Jesus called him and his brother Bonergi, which means the son of thunder. James was the first disciple of Jesus who was martyred. The second James we previously discussed is Jesus's brother. This James is the one who wrote the book of James. Also, according to Acts chapter 15, he was a leader at the Jerusalem church and served as a chairperson at church assemblies. The third James is James, the son of Alphaeus, who we will learn about today. The Bible does not have any record of words or actions of James, the son of Alphaeus. His name is only mentioned in the list of Jesus' disciples. So, there isn't much information about James the Lesser. However, there is a record that one of the women who were watching from afar was the mother of James the Lesser. Let's read Mark chapter 15, verse 40. There were also some women looking on from a distance, among whom were Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of James the Less, And Hoses and Salome. It seems that James the Lesser's mother, Mary, also followed Jesus while he followed Jesus as his disciple, and it looks like James the Lesser had a brother named Hoses. We cannot know what Hoses did because the Bible does not record his work, but when we look at the fact that Mark recorded Hoses' name along with James the Lesser, it seems that James the Lesser, Hoses, and their mother Mary must have been well-known among the disciples of Jesus. Why is James described as the Less? First, it must be to distinguish him from James the son of Zebedee. At the time when the Less went with names, it usually meant that they were short, younger, or had little influence. So I believe he was described as less because he was younger than James, the son of Zebedee. According to Eusebius, the early Christianity historian, James the Lesser was a disciple who did not speak much, but always prayed and was a disciple who resembled Jesus the most. There may not be any records of James the Lesser because he didn't speak much. He was a disciple who carried out his duties as one of Jesus' twelve disciples faithfully, without honor and glory. According to Christian tradition, James the Lesser established churches in Syria and spread the gospel. He was martyred either in Jerusalem or in Egypt by having his body sawed into pieces. So the saw is often found in the drawing of James the Lesser. Though there is not much record of James the Lesser's work in the Bible, I am sure God knows and remembers all his work and must have rewarded him for being a faithful servant. It appears that something is missing at this point. I believe the following portion of the script is referring to Matthias. Where is the transition from James the Lesser to Matthias? The second apostle we're going to look at today is Matthias. Matthias is not one of the twelve original apostles. He replaced Judas Iscariot, who betrayed Jesus and then committed suicide. Apostles decided to elect someone to replace the vacant apostle's position. The Bible records this in Acts chapter 1, verses 21 and 22. Therefore, it is necessary that of the men who have accompanied us all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning with the baptism of John, until the day that he was taken up from us, one of these must become a witness with us of his resurrection. The first requirement of being a new apostle was, of the men who have accompanied us all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us. It was because the work of an apostle was to spread the word of Jesus, the one to be chosen had to be someone who listened to the word of Jesus from him and witnessed Jesus' mission in person. In other words, the person had to be someone who was with Jesus all the time. The second requirement for electing a new apostle was that the person had to be someone who could testify of the resurrection of Jesus. The person had to be a witness who can testify. The person had to be someone who saw the resurrection of Jesus and can witness it to others. But there were two disciples who met both of these requirements. One was Joseph, also called Justice, and the other was Matthias. The apostles casted a lot and the Holy Spirit chose Matthias as the 13th apostle. The meaning of the name Matthias is gift from God. According to Christian traditions, Matthias spread the word of gospel in Ethiopia and was martyred in Georgia, a country next to Turkey, by stoning and beheading by an axe. The Bible does not record more about Matthias other than today's verses but Revelation chapter 21 records that there are 12 cornerstones with the names of the apostles supporting the New Jerusalem Temple. There will be the cornerstone of Peter, the cornerstone of Andrew, the cornerstone of James, the cornerstone of John, the cornerstone of Philip, the cornerstone of Nathaniel, the cornerstone of Matthew, The cornerstone of Thomas, the cornerstone of James the Lesser, the cornerstone of Simon the Zealot, the cornerstone of Judas, and last but not least, the cornerstone of Matthias, not of Judas Iscariot. The Lord allowed Matthias the everlasting glory of being one of the cornerstones for the New Jerusalem Temple. Not too many people know about James the Lesser and Matthias because there's not a lot of information about them, but they will be remembered forever in the kingdom of God. I hope that our eyes will look to the everlasting kingdom and not to this world. Also, I hope that Jesus Christ is glorified through my life and his name is exalted, not my glory or my fame. And I hope we will all be able to meet with joy when we finally meet the Lord. This concludes today's episode. Thank you for listening. Coming up next is a sermon by Pastor David Platt of Radical. Today's topic is "Hark the Herald Angels Sing." I hope you have a blessed time with Pastor David.
1: That you can look on with. Let me invite you to open with me to Luke chapter two. Luke chapter two. Feel free to use table of contents if you need to to find Luke. It's the third book in the New Testament. So last week we're here, you know, The we saw the first thing Matthew told us about after Jesus' birth was the visit of some wise men, not necessarily three, I don't know how many there were, from far off nations, a while after Jesus was born. But Luke, in his account of Jesus' birth, immediately keeps us focused on that night. So pick up in verse 7, where We read that Mary gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. So that's the birth of Jesus. Then right after that, verse 8, And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not. and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. So the first thing Luke tells us about is an angel, this angelic messenger, making an announcement, saying to these shepherds in a field, here's good news of great joy for all the people. And here's the good news. Unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Then, suddenly, that angel is joined by a multitude of the heavenly hosts, like an army of angels, saying, which is interesting, the Bible doesn't actually say they sang. So, hark, the herald angels sing. May be true, but maybe not. I think it's safe to assume it's possible that this sounded at least like a song, but it really is a heralding, a declaration saying two things, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. So what I want to do today is I want us to think about what these angels were heralding. And even, even this week as I was just meditating on this passage and I'm, I'm going to take a little creative license here, but I'm pretty sure I'm in bounds biblically. I just started thinking about the scene, not just from the shepherd's perspective, but from the perspective of these angels, these messengers sent by God with something so amazing to declare. Just imagine that. Like the one angel who got tapped by God for this assignment. How awesome! Is that God's entrance into the world, in the flesh, Jesus, the creator coming to creation, fulfilling hundreds of years of promises. Now it's happening. And God says, I want you to make the announcement. What an honor. This angel says, for unto you is born this day in the city of David, a savior who is Christ the Lord. Hark, listen to that declaration. Like, I've prayed that in this moment right now, that you would, wherever you are right now, that you would hear this declaration. Either, like, really hear it for the first time, or maybe in a fresh way, like this angel is heralding it to you from heaven, to you right where you're sitting. Unto you. Huh. Unto you, shepherds. And not just them, right? It's for all the people. Without exception. I love this scene. These lowly shepherds in a field. Who are they to be the first to hear this news? God's making a point here. Jesus had not come ultimately for the high and mighty. But for the low and unlikely. Even for the dirty and undeserving. In other words, for you and me. To all of us, unto you. Right where you are sitting, right now. To the young and the old. To the rich and the poor. To the religious and the irreligious. To the single and the married. To the straight, gay, lesbian, trans or otherwise. To you, to the Christian, to the Muslim, to the Hindu, to the atheist, to the agnostic, it does not matter who you are, does not matter how you identify yourself, does not matter what you have done or what has been done to you, God is declaring through this angel, he has come to you, for you. I hear this. Not just the person beside you, in front of you, behind you. God sees you. God desires you. God pursues you. God sends an angel to announce to you, I am for you. That's just, unto you is born this day. So this real day that we celebrate in history, not some mythological imaginary day, but a real day to which every day before then was pointing unknown years of history anticipating this day when a real governor named Quirinius was leading Syria and a real emperor in Rome named Caesar Augustus decreed that everyone should be registered meaning a man and a woman named Joseph and Mary just so happened to need to travel to Bethlehem the city of King David a real city Just like District of Columbia or Vienna or Ashburn or Rockville or Manassas. A real city about 5,907 miles away from here. Give or take a few miles. Where it was prophesied centuries before that a savior would be born. And this is where this herald angel takes things to a whole other level. Because this angel is declaring to the world. You are sinners, all of you, all of us have rebelled against God, have turned aside from God and His ways to ourselves and our own ways, and all of us stand guilty before God, deserving of eternal judgment. And this angel is saying, today is a different day, because to a world of sinners, on this day, a Savior has been born. The one who can save you from your sin, save you from eternal judgment. This is the one sinful humanity has been waiting for, a Savior who is the Christ, Jesus Christ. Remember, Christ is not his last name. It means Messiah or the promised one. I picture it like, it's like this angel is saying, I remember, I've watched when man and woman were tempted by the serpent in the garden and took piece of fruit and ate it and sin entered the world darkness came in and I remember in that moment when God said I promise to bring someone from the offspring of woman who will crush that serpent and now he's saying the serpent crusher is here this angel remembers when God spoke through Isaiah a virgin will give birth to a son His name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. That was promised. The angel's declaring now, the Prince of Peace is here. The Wonderful Counselor is here. The Mighty God has come. A Savior is born who is Christ the Lord. Now this angel doesn't just look back to Isaiah's prophecy, doesn't just look back to God's promise to Adam and Eve. This angel looks back to the beginning of it all to the Lord who spoke and a world came into being. Suddenly, suddenly, right after that, imagine the scene, all of a sudden, this one angel is joined by a multitude of the heavenly hosts. And I don't know, so this is totally conjecture, but I'm just imagining this included all of them. I'm just picturing nobody on the bench for this one. Like, all hands on deck. Like, not a few, not a hundred or a thousand. What the Bible refers to in Revelation as myriads and myriads of them. Picture a host of angels stretching from horizon to horizon across the sky in resplendent color. John Milton imagined the helmed cherubim and sordid seraphim in glittering ranks with wings displayed. The stars with deep amaze stand fixed in steadfast gaze. And all at once they lift their voices to God in cosmic stereo. Glory to God in the highest, they say. And on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased so write this down in Luke two fourteen. on this day when Jesus was born these angels heralded two declarations that change everything about each one of our lives for all of eternity so one these angels herald that God is worthy of all your glory These angels were declaring to shepherds then and to all people, including you and me today, God is not merely worthy of your religious motion. He's certainly worthy of more than your nominal association or casual devotion. God is worthy of your entire life spent praising and worshiping and exalting him. That's what glory means means to exalt, to praise, to worship, honor, bless, adore, to love God. Teenagers, this is the purpose of your life. This is where true life is found, in loving God with all your heart and soul and mind and strength. College students and young adults, singles and married Couples, families, parents, grandparents, senior adults, all the way down to the youngest child. These angels are shouting, God is worthy of all your glory. To love him with all you have is truly life. And anything less than that is not to live. C.S. Lewis said, we are foolish creatures. Half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy has been offered us like ignorant children who go on making mud pies in a slum because they cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. Then he says these words. He says, we are far too easily pleased. He's saying, you want to live it up in this world? It's not because your desires are too strong. It's because your desires are too weak. It takes so little to please and satisfy you. You're making mud pies in a slum. You've been offered something eternal and everlasting and full and abundant like go for that live it up for the glory of God now it makes sense light and life to all he brings risen with healing in his wings this is beautiful mild he lays his glory by he put his glory aside so that you can experience his joy in his glory mild he lays his glory by born so that you may no more die born to raise the sons of earth born to give them second birth born to give them new life. Jesus has come to give you new life, so live it up in them. And not just you, this is for everybody, everywhere, joyful all you nations, rise, join the triumph of the skies, so herald this to the nations, let the nations be glad in God. A people who know this life can't keep this life to themselves, now we herald this good news to all the peoples, and glory be to God for members of this church who have we are not going to be celebrating Christmas in the comforts here with us this year because they've gone out and they've moved to other nations for the spread of the gospel where the name and the good news of Jesus have not yet been known. I was recording messages for them just last week, just saying to them, like we love you, we're with you, we're behind you, we're for you as you herald this good news among the nations. Glory to God in the highest. And, so that's just the first declaration, and peace on earth among those with whom he is pleased. So second declaration from the herald angels is that peace is possible today for all with true faith in Jesus. And I'm phrasing this very intentionally to align with what those angels are declaring. So peace, it's exactly what they say, right? Peace, calm, tranquility, harmony. Peace is possible. And the reason it's possible, it's not for everyone. Notice that. It's peace among those with whom. So there's a certain group of people. It's technically possible for everyone, but only realized by those with whom. We'll get to the next part in a second. But it's possible today, meaning right now, on this earth. And not just in the future, in eternity, yes, there, but also right now, amidst whatever's going on in your life on this earth, and today, not just the future, today. Peace is possible today for all with. So now we're gonna go back to the among those with whom, in Luke two fourteen, in the language, there is with whom those with whom he is pleased. So who's that a reference to? Does that mean I need to do a bunch of things in order to please God, to be among those with whom he is pleased? I need to go to church and read the Bible and pray and do good things. And you start going to that, that line of thinking. It's like, well, okay, how much do I need to do? Maybe the more I do, the better chance I have of pleasing God, but doesn't that become the problem? Because who, is, who of us ever feels like we're doing enough How many of us live with this constant, ah, I should be praying more, should be reading the Bible more, should be doing that, should be doing. Like religious motion doesn't lead to peace with God. Tireless performance for God actually leads us away from peace with God. And this is how so many people try to live the Christian life. And it doesn't lead to peace, tranquility, harmony, calm with God. So how is that peace possible? And the answer in this declaration and all over the Bible is that peace is possible today for all with true faith. Now I'm using the word true here just to emphasize we're not talking about nominal faith, faith in name only, which we talk often about as a plague across contemporary Christianity. So many people who say they believe in Jesus, but their lives look just like everybody else in the world. You just kind of tack on Jesus on Sundays, even that occasionally, but that's not true faith. It's not biblical faith, and it doesn't lead to peace. Like, big deal that you believe in Jesus or in God. Even the demons have that kind of faith. The counterparts to these angels. They don't have this peace. They're in constant conflict, and so will your life be with half-hearted, casual, nominal faith. Peace is possible today for all with true faith in Jesus, the Savior, Christ the Lord, who was born that day. And what Luke 2.14 is telling us is the reason he came was to bring peace to all those who put their faith in him. Now, the rest of the Bible teaches this. Real quick overview of the peace Jesus brings to all who place their faith in him. This could be a whole other sermon, a few sermons. But really on three levels, I'll just hit them real quick. Like one, peace with God. Two, peace within ourselves. And three, peace with others. Jesus came to bring all three. That's what peace is here. Think about it. Peace with God. This is Romans 5, 1 and 2. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have, there's the language, peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Peace with God. This is the most important kind of peace possible. Peace with God. You're a creator. No more enmity with God. No more conflict with God. No more tension with God. Peace with God. Harmony, tranquility with God. That's possible. How? Not by works, by doing enough of this or that, by praying a certain amount of time or giving him out or whatever. No, by faith. It says it twice. By faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. This is such good news. Talk about reason to sing. Even though you are a sinner, by faith in Jesus, you don't have to be afraid of God. No matter what you have done in your life by faith in Jesus, you don't have to be ashamed before God. No matter what this world says to you or about you, by faith in Jesus, you are welcomed and loved by God. By faith in Jesus, you have peace with God. Like, sign me up. And, and, so then it keeps going, and peace within yourself. We study this. A little over a year ago, Philippians chapter four, verse six and seven. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Jesus says the same thing. If you remember, we studied Matthew chapter six, verse 25 to 33, on the first day when our country was shut down due to COVID, where Jesus three times says, do not be anxious, do not be anxious, do not be anxious. And Jesus says, because your father loves you and he promises to provide you everything you need. And we talked that day about different definitions and understandings of anxiety, including medical conditions like clinical anxiety. And we talked about how the way the Bible is using the word anxiety here is referring to, and I'm I'm just gonna put this definition back up on the screen just as a reminder. When the Bible uses that word anxiety, or sometimes you see it as the word worry as a substitute, it's describing carrying concerns in this world in such a way that we lose perspective on life and or we lack trust in God. And I bring this back today just to make the connection with what these angels are declaring. They are saying from the skies that peace, freedom from carrying concerns in this way is possible through faith in Jesus like today right here in your life it's filled with potential worries and filled with potential uncertainties and struggles and challenges that all threaten your peace Jesus came to give you a peace that surpasses all understanding as you trust in him through true faith in him again nominal casual kind of monotonous religious motion doesn't lead to that kind of peace. True faith in Jesus leads to this kind of peace. I think about multiple conversations I've had this week with brothers and sisters going through really hard times. And every time the Spirit has just brought to my mind, Isaiah chapter 26, verse 3 and 4, I just prayed this over them. You keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. Trust in the Lord forever. For the Lord God is an everlasting rock. What a picture. Make the connection here. Because Jesus is the Lord. He is the everlasting rock. So keep your mind stayed on Jesus. Fixed on him and his love for you and his promises to you and bring all the things that are heavy on your heart to him. Cast all your anxieties, your burdens, your cares upon him and he will keep you in perfect peace. Oh, do that today. Do that during the season of your life, if you're walking through trials. This is a Christmas message that you can take all your anxieties and all your burdens to Jesus and he will bear them for you. He will guard your heart and your mind. He will protect you. He will give you a peace that surpasses understanding. All of that is only possible through faith in Jesus. Jesus came to give you peace with God, peace within yourself, and peace with others. This is the third kind of peace Jesus came to bring us. And it may be the hardest because it's the kind of peace we have the least control over. This is why... Paul says in Romans chapter 12, verse 18, if possible, as far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. So based on God's command to work toward peace and Jesus' provision of that peace through what he did in his coming and living and dying and rising from the grave, I want to exhort you to consider any relationships you have where there is not peace and to work for peace in them. Amen. Especially here at the holidays when we often spend times with family spend time with family, and there's sometimes strain that exists in certain family relationships. I want to encourage you, based on the entire purpose of Jesus coming, to pursue peace to the fullest extent possible. In the words of Ephesians 4, 31 and 32, Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. That is not easy, especially when you've been hurt by someone. But it's possible. How? Through true faith in Jesus. True faith in Jesus. Not again, Nominal, just casual, on-the-side faith, like true faith in Jesus unlocks the power to pursue peace, even when it's hard, and even when your efforts at peace are put right back in your face. It happened to Jesus, too. So keep your faith fixed on Him. And even when you're wronged, don't let bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander or malice have a place. Have any hold in your heart because none of those things lead to peace. Instead, just fix your eyes back on where we started, at the amazement, the fact that we have peace with God. Follow this. Instead of being angry at all the ways you have been wronged, be amazed that God has forgiven all your wrongs. And he's made peace possible today for you, no matter what this world brings. And so it makes sense then, doesn't it? To sing, hark, listen, pay close attention. The herald angels sing, glory to the newborn king, peace on earth and mercy mild. God and sinners reconcile to one another, to each other, oh, pay close attention to what these angels are heralding. Unto you and me. Unto us was born that day in that city a Savior who is Christ the Lord. So give God all your glory. Live all your life and love. Worship to Him. Sing a song like this. Not like you're bored or like it's mindless Tradition, sing a song like this because you got reason to sing glory to the newborn king. And then as you sing with all the stuff in your life, truly trust in Jesus for peace that surpasses all understanding now and peace that will never, ever, ever end.
0: The voice of one crying in the wilderness makes straight the way of the Lord. Heart and Soul Gospel Ministries is looking for those who will partner with us in this ministry of making a path straight for the Lord directly to the hearts of listeners. If you would like to partner with us to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ and deliver the saving grace of our Lord to others through volunteering, through prayer, and through donations, please call us at 602. 602- Eight six six eight nine nine nine. The following program is called Equipping the Saints.
2: Hello, heart and soul listeners. I'm Pastor Greg Lundsted, and I'm so glad that I can share my series from Equipping the Saints with you. I pray that God will grow each and every one of you in Christ through this series. Well, who do you listen to? Whose words do you Respect. You know, we all on varying levels listen to different people in different ways. Let me give you an example. If you respect our president, you probably listen to what he has to say. If you don't respect him, you probably don't listen to what he has to say. Think about the news you listen to. If you respect those who are bringing it, you probably listen to what they have to say. If you don't, you probably don't listen to what they have to say. Well, what about on a personal level? We tend to pay attention and listen to those we respect, to those that we love. We give our ears to those that we love, like our family. You know, If my kids want to come talk to me, they want to share something, I listen to them because I love them. You see, we tend to listen to those we love and those we respect. We tend to turn away those we don't love and respect. Now today we're going to see that above all we are to listen to the Word of God because it is just that. It is the Word of God. With that in mind, we're going to see today the written word of God, what we need to know first and foremost to do well. Let's turn our Bibles to 2 Peter chapter 1, and we're going to be completing the chapter today, Lord willing. We're looking at verses 20 to 21, and we've been studying the book of 2 Peter, and let me just share the context of this book before we get into our passage. We recognize that chapter 1 is part of a larger book, obviously three chapters. And within that, in chapter 1, Simon Peter identifies himself as a bondservant and an apostle of Jesus Christ. And these are his final words. We saw the last time we were together that he knew his departure was imminent. The Lord Jesus had made it known to him. So Peter is writing his last letter. And who is Peter writing to? He's writing to believers, those who have a like faith as the apostles. You see, if you're a true believer, we all have the same faith, no matter who you are. Our faith is in Jesus Christ and what he has done for us. And he says here that this is the second letter that he is writing. He's writing it not to believers, but he's writing it to the same group that he had written before, but it seems to expand. 2 Peter 3, verse 1, this is now, beloved, the second letter I am writing you in which I am stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder. He is writing to the same group in Asia Minor he wrote before, they are believers, but he is writing in this context a second epistle, a second letter. And he has expanded on who it is to because it is to those who have a like faith as theirs in Jesus Christ. Now, this book is simply about growing in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's about a real relationship with Jesus Christ and threats to that relationship. Indeed, we see in the initial greeting the theme of the book, verse 2 of chapter 1. Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord seeing that His divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of Him. It's about a real relationship, not knowledge of simply the Word of God, but knowledge of the God of the Word. It's knowledge and it's a real relationship with the living God through faith as we see in Jesus Christ. We saw even in verse 8 of chapter 1 that if certain qualities in the context of faith were increasing and were ours, if it was an evidence that you're walking with the Lord, that you're increasing in the true knowledge of Him. Verse 8, for if these qualities are yours and increasing, they render you neither useless nor unfruitful in the true knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Again, it is about knowing Christ Christ. And in the end of the book, in contrast to those who would lead believers astray, to which we are warned, in contrast, Peter says, chapter 3, verse 18, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To Him be the glory both now and the day of eternity. Amen. Again, this book is about growing in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. And it is through, as Peter has made it clear, and we'll see this in a minute, it is through the Word of God that we grow in our relationship with Him. We have been granted His precious and magnificent promises. We are partakers of these tremendous truths, and thus we are partakers of His character when we abide in Christ and trust in Him, and His Word is working in us. This letter is clearly a reminder of what believers should already know. And Peter says he considers it right to remind us of these things. We saw that he was faithful in doing the right thing, stirring them up by way of reminder, so that they could call these things to mind after he had left. Peter is writing that we would remember the Word of God, which God uses to grow us in a relationship with the Son Jesus. He shares the most important thing. And in this book, he threads then through warnings to the most important thing, which is the truth of God, which reveals the God of the truth, and those who would pervert and twist and mock the truth of God, those threats to growth in Christ. So then these are Peter's last words in his second epistle, and it's very important. And it is a reminder concerning how we grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ and the threats to that growth in Jesus Christ. So with that in mind, turn your Bibles with me to 2 Peter, chapter 1. And we're going to be looking at verses 20 and 21. I'm going to read those first, and then we'll back up and look at the context. Verse 20, But know this first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture is a matter of one's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever made by an act of human will, but men moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. Today we're going to see that we believers do well, we do beautifully by heeding the more sure written Word of God, which we have as a light in this dark world, and we do well understanding primarily and first and foremost that it is the Word of God and not the Word of men. It is only until we see God's Word rightly and we see Him rightly that we will respond rightly to His Word. You see, if you have a problem with the Word of God, as we will see, you have a problem with your view of God. Whether it's not a relationship with Him, or whether it's a lack of respect, whether your own self has gotten in the way. It is when we see the God of the Word rightly that we respect the Word of God, and when we understand that it's His Word. Do you remember what we've seen so far? Back up a little bit, as we've read already in verse 2 of chapter 1. Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God, and of Jesus our Lord that's what Peter says that grace would be multiplied and peace the result that you would function more and more by the grace of God in the context of your relationship with Jesus Christ that's what God wants for us seeing that his divine power is granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence god has given us everything we need pertaining to the christian life this life and godliness through a true relationship where we know the Lord, we're walking with him. And how is that brought forth? He says, for by these he has granted to us his precious and magnificent promises, in order that by them you might become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world by lust. By his word we partake of the character and nature of God. We don't become God, but we become like God as God in us manifests his character in us. And if we are true believers, we recognize the reality of how God works in our lives through his word. And then Peter said, as we saw, as we looked through this passage, that there are some qualities that if we're true believers should be increasing in, that the word of God should be working out in our lives. We are to work out the salvation with fear and trembling, for God is at work in us. And notice verse 5. He says, Now for this very reason, applying all diligence, that means being diligent, which is a word that's not used these days in our society, is it? Being diligent in your faith. That's the context. It's all by faith in Jesus. Supply or bring forth moral excellence. There should be a moral change in our lives. It should be there. And we should be functioning that way on a daily basis based on the Word of God and by faith in Christ. And he says in your moral excellent knowledge, we should be growing in the knowledge of our Lord. And in your knowledge, self-control. Day after day, more and more, we should be saying no to those things of the flesh, those desires, and saying yes to allowing God to work through us. Self-control. If you're a true believer, that's a fruit of the Spirit. This should be happening in your life. And he says perseverance. We should be remaining under those difficulties, trusting the Lord, allowing Him to work through those things. You see, the testing of our faith produces what? Perseverance, right? And then it's results that would be a complete lacking in nothing. And in your perseverance, godliness. There should be a change in our relationship of how we respond to the Lord. We should be more reverent, more aware, more focused on the living God. And in your God in this brotherly kindness, that's brotherly love, there should be a love for one another. It should be there. And in your brotherly kindness, love, obviously a love for God and thus His people. You see, these qualities should be in us. And notice what he says. For if these qualities are yours, every single one, not a few of them, every single one, believer, And are increasing. These things should be in us and increasing. He says, They render you neither useless nor unfruitful in the true knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. You see, a believer could be useless and unfruitful in their relationship with Jesus if God's Word is not working out on a practical basis in their daily lives. Not simply head knowledge of verses and Bible studies, but the real-time reality of God working in our heart to bring about these things, love, knowledge, self-control, perseverance, all this stuff in your life. He says, For he who lacks these qualities is blind or short-sighted, nearsighted, Having forgotten his purification from his former sins. You lack these things. You've forgotten why God saved you. He saved you to make you like Jesus. To weed out sin in your life. To grow these qualities in us that we would reflect the nature of his son, Jesus Christ. Verse 10. Therefore, brethren, be all the more diligent to make certain of his calling and choosing. Make sure you're saved. Make sure this reflection of a real relationship with Jesus is yours. Calling and choosing. As long as you practice these things, you will never stumble. He's going to talk about eternally stumbling. For in this way, entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ will abundantly be supplied to you. If you're a true believer by faith, working out the life of Christ, you're on your way to glory. But if that's not happening, maybe you're short-sighted, or maybe you've never been saved. And notice what he says here, verse 12. Therefore, I shall always be ready to remind you of these things. See, I'm going to say them over and over again. Even though you already know them. Believers, we know this. If you're a true believer, you know these truths. He says, even though you already know them and having been established in the truth which is present in you, and I consider it right as long as I'm in this earthly dwelling to stir you up by way of reminder, knowing that the laying aside, Peter writes, of my earthly dwelling is imminent. As also our Lord Jesus Christ has made clear to me. And I will also be diligent that at any time after my departure, you may be able to call these things to mind. Peter was a faithful servant to the point of his death serving the Lord. That we would be able to call these things to mind. And then remember what we saw in our last time together. Look at verse 16. For we did not follow cleverly devised tales when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but were eyewitnesses to his majesty. He's going to bring up the transfiguration where Peter, James, and John saw the Lord in his glory with Moses and Elijah. He's going to say, hey, we're not like those bad guys who make up stories religiously. We actually had an experience. We saw the Lord in his glory. But notice what he says. For when he received glory and honor, verse 17, from the Father, such an utterance was made to him by the majestic glory. This is my beloved Son, whom I am well pleased. And you look at verse 18. And we ourselves heard this utterance made from heaven when we were with him on the holy mountain. We had the experience above all experiences, and it's a true religious experience, but in a subtle contrast, we have something so much more than that. Notice what he says. And so we have the prophetic word made more sure to which you do well or do beautifully to take heed or to pay attention as a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star arises in your hearts. We had this experience, but we have the prophetic word made more sure. We have the word of God, which you do well to pay attention as a lamp shining in a dark place until the morning star Christ rises in our hearts till we are glorified and with him and like him forever. And then our passage. But know this first of all, that no prophecy of scripture is a matter of one's own interpretation For no prophecy was ever made by an act of human will, but men moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. Tremendous reality. He's speaking here of the Word of God as we're going to see. He has shared that we need to be heeding the Word of God. We need to be those who are listening and paying attention to the Word of God. We do well to heed the Word of God. We do beautifully. The term do well speaks of a beautiful thing. It is a beautiful thing when believers heed the word of God in the context of faith in Jesus, a real relationship. Now, there are many people who pay attention to the word of God, but they don't heed it. Proverbs thirteen thirteen: The one who despises the word will be in debt to it, but the one who fears the commandment will be rewarded. Proverbs 28, verse 9, he who turns his ear away from listening to the law, even his prayer is an abomination. People listen, but they don't listen. If you've had kids, you've probably recognized there are times where you're talking to your child, you say, are you listening to me? They're listening, but they're not listening, right? And that's an evidence of not agreeing or disrespecting or not honoring or having an issue, right? When someone listens but doesn't listen, there's an issue in that relationship, right? You see, he who turns his ear away from listening to the law, even his prayer is abomination. But the Word of God is our spiritual food. The Lord Jesus, when he was tempted, Matthew 4, verse 3, And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to be bread. But he answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. A quote from Deuteronomy. We live on the Word of God. It is our spiritual Food, And we do well to pay attention. You see, when we pay attention to the Word of God, it beautifies us. Proverbs chapter 1, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Verse 7, fools despise wisdom and instruction. Verse 8, hear my son your father's instruction. Do not forsake your mother's teaching. Indeed, they are a graceful wreath to your head and ornaments about your neck. When we are allowing the Word of God to control our interactions and our actions in a relationship with Jesus by faith, it is a beautiful thing. You know how ugly it is when the Word of God is taken out of context and forced in situations versus God working through someone through His Word in relationships. It's a beautiful thing. We do well to heed His Word. And the last time we were together, I shared a few passages concerning the heeding of the word, and I want to share them again because it really keys off what we're going to look at today in terms of our understanding of where that word comes from to which we are to heed. Jeremiah 13, 15, listen and give heed. Do not be haughty, for the Lord has spoken. You see, when we're prideful, we don't want to listen. We think we know it, right? Don't be haughty. Proverbs 8.32, Now therefore, sons, oh, listen to me, for blessed are they who keep my ways. Proverbs 8.32, Heed my instruction and be wise and do not neglect it. Heed it, listen, turn your attention to it. Have a desire to hear what God says. Blessed is the man who listens to me watching daily at my gates, waiting at my doorposts. For he who finds me finds life and obtains favor from the Lord. But he who sins against me injures himself, and those who hate me love death. Zechariah chapter 1, speaking of the Israelites who went into bondage, the Lord says, but they did not listen or give heed to me. Revelation chapter 1, blessed are those who hear the words of this prophecy and heed. Heed, right? Are you doing well? Are you doing beautifully in your relationship with Jesus? Are you trusting Jesus? Are you heeding his word? Or are there areas where you're unwilling to listen, to listen to what he has to say to you? Some of you might be paying attention to myths and stories and commandments of men who turn away from the truth paying attention to experience. It's time to confess those things and be set free from your bondage and heed the Word of God. Yes, these apostles, Peter, the premium one in this group of three, the one who was the leader in a sense, de facto, they had an experience that they could have said, wow, we can rely on this experience. They said no. And so we have instead the prophetic word made more sure It is more sure to which you do well to pay attention. Have you relied on anything in your Christian life other than the Word of God from the God of the Word? False or true experience, whatever it might be, confess those things and be forgiven. We rely on Christ. We walk by faith and not by sight. And sometimes we are tempted to walk by sight. In the end of... Paul's life, 2 Timothy, and in Peter's letter here, we see at the end of his life, they make a point that the inspired Word of God is sufficient for our walk with Christ. And remember, we saw that the Word is a light to our path. Verse 19, and we have the prophetic Word made more sure to which you do well to pay attention as a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star arises in your heart. God's word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. We are blind apart from God, illumining with his word for our life and our walk. We need to bind the word around our hearts. When you walk about, they will guide you. When they sleep, you will watch over you. When you wake, they will talk to you. For the commandment is a lamp and the teaching is a light. And reproofs for discipline are the way of life. God's Word illumines our path. and it is through God's word that we grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord. First Peter chapter 2. We grow in respect to salvation, through the word of God. First Thessalonians chapter 2:13. God's Word performs its work in those who believe. 2 Thessalonians 2.13 But we should always give thanks to God for you, beloved brethren of the Lord, because God has chosen you from the beginning for salvation through sanctification by the Spirit and faith in the truth. That's how God does it. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path.